Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to Acts chapter 16. We talked a little bit about it around the campfire on Friday night, but I am thankful for God's work that He does of transforming people's lives. I think I was talking with one of the men yesterday, and he said, you know, our lives have changed a lot in the last three years. One of the men said, you know, I didn't even know Jesus three years ago. My life was headed in a very different direction. The other one said, well, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I wasn't using it for the Lord. And my life has changed so much in the last three years. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, I think you could probably also agree that God does a transforming life in people. He changes the way that you think. He changes your priorities. He changes the way you spend your time and even the way you spend your money. Why does God do all of this? Well, and why does so much change take place? It's because without Christ, the Bible tells us we are spiritually dead. And spiritually dead people don't do the right things. But with Christ, we have spiritual life, new birth. We have a new mission, a new purpose in life. In fact, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're able to live out the purpose that God created for you to have. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, to have a personal relationship with Him, to live out your life in fellowship with God. There's nothing greater than that. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That leaves us in a pretty bad place, doesn't it? And Paul writes in the next verse, And such were some of you. Isn't that great that that's in the past tense? And such were some of you. Our world today is consumed with finding their identity. I identify as this, or I don't identify as that. For the believer in Jesus Christ, our identity is found in Him. It is in Him that we live and move and have our being. Our very purpose in life is determined by our identity. And Paul says that, yes, you may have been a liar. You may have been a thief. You may have been living for yourself. But in Christ, he says, ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I am thankful for the power of God to transform our lives. God, God brings transformation to a person that comes to the Lord asking for salvation. You know, when you hear that list of sins that I just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you may look at those people and say, well, it would be impossible for that person to experience transformation in their life. You know, in the Bible, the Greek word that we have translated into English, transform, is the same word that we get our word metamorphosis from. You know what metamorphosis is? It's the process by which the caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. It's a pretty amazing process. This little crawly, worm-looking thing makes this cocoon around itself and almost looks like it has died stays in there for a period of time only to emerge as this beautiful butterfly. Where did those wings come from? Man, that weight loss program looked pretty good that that caterpillar went on. Like, man, if I just stopped eating for a few weeks, I'd 
lose weight and grow wings, this would be a good program. Can you imagine it? The metamorphosis diet. Well, God didn't create us to transform like a butterfly, but God did, through the work of Jesus Christ, make it possible for you to be transformed. God can take old things and He can make them new. God can take broken things and He can put them together and make them into beautiful things. God can take the things and the people that this world wants to cast aside and cast out and ignore, God can make them into beautiful trophies of His grace. That's the power of transformation. We've been studying through the book of Acts together, and we've made it in our study to chapter 16. And this morning, we're going to see three amazing, powerful stories of God's transformational work in the lives of people. We're going to meet a lady named Lydia, this lady who was a dealer in this purple dye, this, uh, these things of beauty. She was a spiritual, a religious woman, but she needed to be transformed. Next, we'll meet a damsel who was demon-possessed, somebody that the world didn't care about. They only wanted her for what they could get from her. The devil was taking advantage of her. Her masters had enslaved her, and people were just using her to earn money for themselves. How terrible. How abusive. How oppressive. And yet God transformed her life. And then you'll meet finally this morning a jailer. A jailer who had the opportunity to meet Jesus in the middle of the night, in the middle of what he thought was a jailbreak. He got to meet Jesus. As we back up just a little bit before they get to this place where these stories of transformation take place, I want to remind you from last week of where Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke have been. Remember, Paul and Silas and Timothy left Antioch. They traveled up and around the Mediterranean Sea. Lots of walking. Lots of maybe riding donkeys or some other... You know, cart means of transportation, but it wasn't fast. It wasn't a train. It wasn't an airplane. It wasn't a car. Very slow modes of transportation. And as they traveled along, there were certain places where God said, I don't want you to go there yet, like the city of Bithynia. The Lord said, nope, that's not where I want you to be yet. So they had to bypass this city. They traveled through the region of Asia. This isn't the whole part of Asia that we think of today, but this is a, a little portion there near in kind of southern Turkey, modern-day Turkey. As they traveled through this, the Lord said, nope, not here, not yet, not now. They made it all the way to the city of Troas, this little town, this port town there on the water, and the Lord didn't allow them even to share the gospel there. But while they are in Troas, Paul had a vision. He heard what we know as the Macedonian call. And this call was to come over and help us in Macedonia. So the Bible tells us, we looked at it last week, that Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, they got on a boat and they sailed immediately over to Macedonia and they made their way to the city of Philippi. And I was, I was thinking about that. I thought about all that God did to orchestrate all these circumstances to put Paul and Silas and Timothy in just the right place at just the right time to reach just the right people that we're going to read about in just a minute, to reach just the right people with the gospel. Have you ever taken time to look back in your own life, if you're a believer this morning, and think about all that God did to bring you to the gospel? How God may have sent somebody this way or that way or had to not go to this place and instead go to that place and how God moved people and circumstances and situations around so that you might know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We serve an incredible God, don't we? And He loves to transform lives. God loves the whole world. He loved the people in Bithynia. This was a city where God didn't let them go at that point to share the gospel, but later the gospel made it to Bithynia. 
God loved the people in Troas. He loved the people in Asia. But God knew at this exact time, at this exact place, that there would be a lady named Lydia, a demon-possessed damsel, and a a jailer who all needed to meet Jesus. And he made sure that these guys would be in just the right place at just the right time to share the gospel with them. Do you believe that God still works like that today? I know I do. Say, well, that was just in Bible times. We read about it in the Bible, you know. Our stories today may not be recorded in the pages of Scripture, but we still serve the same God today that they served back then. We still follow a God who's working out His plan in this world just like He was working it out back then. These stories are an example to us. These stories are to help us, to encourage us, and to teach us more about who who our God is and how He works so that we might know better how to minister in this day and age that we're in today. Acts chapter 16, verse number 13. Let's start out. It says, And on the Sabbath, we, that's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. The first thing I want you to notice this morning is the transforming power of the gospel comes through following the leading of the Holy Spirit. These men were careful to follow God's leading, God's direction. And so when it came time to be in Philippi, when God had brought them all the way there, on the morning of the Sabbath, where did they go? They went down to the riverside. Why did they go there? Well, because they had heard, they knew somehow that this was a place where people would gather together to This was often Paul's method when he would come to a new city. He would go to the synagogue, the place where they would come together and talk about God. Now, these were not people who were following Jesus Christ, but these were people that were just spiritual, religious people. He went to the place of of religion to share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. Because this morning, my friend, being religious is not good enough to get you to God, even Coming to church won't get you to God. Spending time in prayer won't give you a relationship with God. A relationship with God can only be found through Jesus Christ. say, well, that sounds really harsh. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want you to know God loves religious people. And religious people may have a love for God, but you cannot get to God by being religious. You must come through Jesus Christ. This isn't the way of a particular denomination. This is not the way of a particular named religion that we have in the world. This is the way that Jesus has set forth for us. Our world today, people will hear a term, a denomination, the name of a church, and they'll say, well, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. My friend, being any of those things won't make you a child of God. You can only trust in God through Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas, Luke and Timothy were following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and they went to this place where religious people gathered to pray. But as they got there, they met this lady. The Bible calls her a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. We learn a few things about this lady from this description. She sold purple. What does that mean? Well, a purple dye back in this time was used to color clothing, and it was very expensive. It was very exclusive. And for the fact that this woman 
was the one selling this also said something about her because in this day, in this period, it would not be common for a woman to own her own store or her own place of commerce. So some scholars think perhaps her husband had died, maybe. She also was not living in the town where she was from. She was from Thyatira. She had moved to Philippi. I'm sure glad she did because Paul came to Philippi. So God moved Lydia to the right place. God brought Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke to the right place. He had this woman there on that day. She was a religious woman who was trying to talk to God, but she needed to know Jesus Christ. When she came that day, the Bible says she heard us, and then it says whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So when Paul shared the gospel, she opened her heart, the Lord opened her heart to the gospel, and she believed. The Bible says in John chapter 1, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Lydia was somebody who knew of God. She even wanted to come and pray to God, but she'd never believed in Jesus Christ. But that day she did. After she believed, she evidenced her belief. She demonstrated her faith by being baptized. She was baptized, and the Bible says her whole household. Isn't it amazing? God did this work not just to save Lydia. He also wanted to save her whole household. All the people that lived there with her. This wealthy woman who sells purple. She has a large home, lots of family, servants perhaps. And they're all living together in this household. And they all trusted Christ as their Savior. They were all baptized. In fact, her house was so big, the Bible says in verse 15, And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She said, come stay in my house. Isn't it amazing as Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were faithful to share the gospel and to meet the spiritual needs of these people that God met their physical needs as well? These guys are traveling to a new city. They don't know anybody. They're in a new place. Who knows where they stayed prior to going to the riverside? Maybe there was a little inn somewhere, a motel. I know the motels where most preachers stay, they're not very nice. But they weren't staying in those places anymore. Now they're staying at Lydia's house. God took care of their physical needs. Now, don't serve God just because He meets your physical needs. Because in the next story we're going to look at in just a moment, as they continue to faithfully share the gospel, instead of spending the night in Lydia's house, they got to spend the night in prison. Some people think, well, if you just serve God, you'll be rich. You'll be comfortable. It'll be easy. You have all, the, all that you could ever want. Not true. But he has said that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You may not have everything you want, but you'll have what you need. Although our definition of need definitely bleeds into what God would define, I think, as wants most of the time. Our, our needs are like this, and God says, no, you need about this. He says, having food and raiment, be content. Like, well, I want food and raiment and an Xbox and a nice car and a big house. But see, the Holy Spirit was leading them along the path. They made it to Philippi. They made it to the riverside. This woman trusted in Jesus Christ. Lydia's whole household got saved. I want you to continue on with me because we move into another story of transformation. Our first story is this lady named Lydia who's a wealthy lady, a religious lady. I mean, when she got saved, 
She was having people over to her house. She was hosting the preachers, and she's feeding them. She's taking care of them. It's like, man, if everybody that God saved was like Lydia, this would be awesome. But God didn't just come to save the Lydias of the world. He also came to reach the demon-possessed damsels think sometimes in our modern view of Christianity, we're like, yeah, let's reach the Lydias. We need to be able to reach those who may even be demon-possessed as well. It's easy maybe for us to see how Lydia came to Christ. This next story, while it's powerful, I don't know about you, it doesn't get me quite as excited. It didn't end up as good for Paul and Silas, that's for sure. Let's read it together. Verse 16, it came to pass as we went to prayer. So they're still going and meeting with Lydia and these people by the riverside. The Bible says a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. She was a fortune teller. Not only was she possessed with a demon, she also had human masters, owners. She was a slave. She was experiencing spiritual oppression and the oppression of human beings who owned her and used her for their own benefit. We live in a world today that in many cases uses and abuses people. Looking at people for what they can get from them, what they can take from them. God wants to give you eternal life. Notice it continues on the same. This young lady, she followed Paul and us and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. This tells me that Paul and Silas were faithful. They continued on encouraging Lydia. They continued encouraging these other folks by the riverside. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence. This went on for a while. It says, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. We serve a God who's greater than any demon. Greater than he, is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We serve a God who has power over the prince of the power of this air because he's the God who created all things. And when he said, come out, the demon came out. If the story stopped there, we said, wow, what amazing transformation. God's power is incredible. It is. But then it says, And when her masters, verse 19, saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under, their ruler, under the rulers. By the way, this was not a gentle catching. The phrase here, the word used here. They, they grabbed them roughly. They dragged them into the middle of town. They dragged them in front of the leaders of the city. And what did they say? They said, and they brought them to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. What kind of trouble did they cause? They cast a demon out. Why was that trouble? Well, the fortune teller wasn't going to be able to tell fortunes anymore. Why was it trouble? Because these men who owned this young woman, she was their slave. They no longer could profit from her existence. If these men couldn't profit from her existence, she was worthless to them. And because of that, they were angry at Paul. says, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. What in the world? All they said was, demon, come out. These are customs that is Romans. We cannot receive these things. The world has good ways of saying things. They sound very educated and very smart, but it's a lie. They were exceedingly troubling the city? In what way? Oh, you no longer could profit from 
hurting other people. It's no wonder our world fights so hard to keep abortion going. It's no wonder our world fights so hard to allow people to do wicked things, make legalized drugs, legalize all kinds of wickedness. Why? Because there's a lot of profit to be made in that. When you stand against these things, now you're the one causing trouble. No, they just cast a demon. In fact, you would think that would bring less trouble, right? Isn't it amazing to think that these people would be willing to let a demon live among them as long as they could profit from it? But when the demon's cast out and they lose their profit, they're upset. How much wickedness does this world want to dwell with as long as it pays them? How much sin will we put up with as long as it meets our needs and makes us feel good? It says in verse 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. They were showing, oh, there's horrible, horrible things going on. This is awful. What's so awful? They cast a demon out. No, what was awful is they were threatening their livelihood. They were threatening their means of financial gain. They were threatening the status quo. And they beat them. And it says, when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. It's interesting, right? Because this story right here, we're introduced to the jailer, but we almost miss it. And if we didn't know what happened to this jailer later on, we would miss it. He would just be another person on the road. He's just a guy. He's just a jailer. But I'm thankful that he wasn't just the jailer to the Lord. He's not just the jailer to Jesus. You're not just some person that exists. You matter to God. And he loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And that man, the jailer, he was just doing his job that night. He didn't have any part in this. He didn't have a horse in this race, so to speak. He just was keeping the jail. And he put Paul and Silas in prison. He made sure they weren't going to get out. He put them in the inner prison. And the Bible says, I believe it's here in verse 24, he says, and having received such a charge, thrust them in the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now in the first service, Carissa and Brenna were sitting here on the front row. I said, do you understand what that means, that they put their feet in stocks and they both went? So I'll ask again, do you know what it means to have your feet put in stocks? Oh, nobody nods. Oh, nobody nods. Yes or no? Let's try it. Anybody not know what it looks like to have your feet in stocks? Okay, everybody nods. Good. Well, if you don't know, I have an illustration that I drew for Chris and Brennan in the first service, and I can show it to you after the service. But imagine this. They've been beaten. They've been whipped. They're probably bloodied up, cut up, bruised, they're hurting. And then they get locked in stocks and they're sitting there. This had been a long day. They, they, all day long this had probably been taking place. That gets into the evening. In fact, the next verse says that it was midnight in the jail. We had, there were guys still out late at midnight at the camp out sitting around the campfire. Some of you feeling a droopy this morning. I understand because you were up too late and we were having a good time. Paul and Silas hadn't had a good time that night. And it was midnight. They were still up. But what happened at midnight in the inner part of the prison? Can you imagine? It must have been just so dark in there. They're locked up. They're hurting. They're beaten up. They're bruised. They've been mistreated. They've been lied about. All for what? For sharing the gospel, for casting out a demon, for following the Holy Spirit. I think for a lot of us, it's a lot easier to serve God and to preach the gospel when we get to spend the night at Lydia's house. But will we preach the gospel? Will we share the good news? Will we follow the Holy Spirit's leading when it might end us up in the prison house? 
that God cares about the Lydia's just like He cares about the damn sinner. In fact, Jesus said in His own words in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I think it was worth it for Paul and Silas to go to prison for trying to bring the transformational work of God into this damsel's life. But see, Paul and Silas couldn't know the outcome of their situation before they experienced it, right? Like there was no way they knew, like many of you know, oh, I know, they're about to get out of prison. It's going to be good. God's going to send an earthquake and it's going to be awesome. But see, they had to walk through it by faith. We're able to read it by sight and see what it says, but they had to live it out by faith. And I don't want us to ever get past that as we read the Word of God. Because God put it there to teach us who God is and how God works. But then we have to take the Word of God and believe it by faith to do what it says, even though... We don't get to experience maybe some of the blessings and some of the miracles and some of the power of God until after we've taken the step of faith. God can't get you out of prison until He's first let you get into prison, right? But sometimes we fear the getting into prison so much because if I did, how would I ever get out? Sometimes we fear, well, what if I share the gospel with this person? How will they respond? Well, if you don't share the gospel with them, you'll never know. But they just might trust Jesus. Now that's between them and God. But we have the opportunity to share the good news. Well, maybe somebody else will. I, I don't think if God's put you in that place at that time, God's given you the message, He's given us the truth. If you've trusted Christ and you have His Holy Spirit living inside of you, so why are you going to wait for somebody else to do it? God has the somebody, He's put them there. Jesus came to reach and to preach the gospel to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to the captives. Oh, this young lady, this damsel, what a captive. She was captive spiritually and she was captive spiritually. And that's exactly the person that God sent Paul and Silas to reach. Would you think about it in your own life? You may know somebody who's brokenhearted, who's a captive to the things of this world, who's poor physically, financially, or spiritually. All of these people are people that Jesus loves. He loves religious people. He loves even demon-possessed people. Paul and Silas, they were beaten, thrown in prison, and put in the stocks. This must have been awful. So how did they respond? Well, look at verse 25. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. What's our response when difficulty comes? Somebody said the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. Somebody said... Uh, Faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. I've seen this in my own life, and you've probably seen this in yours. That there are times we've said, all right, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do what He wants. I'm going to trust Him. But then when things get difficult, when the situation changes, oh, I just don't know if I can do this. So what did Paul and Silas do? Well, the first thing they did was pray. They prayed. What do you do when you get into a difficult situation? You call your friend. People today, there's a whole group of them out there that when they have a hard time, they complain about it on social media because that'll fix things. No, today we live in a world 
if you complain about things on social media, the social media is going to come and say, no, you're not actually right about this. Really, you should read this article instead. And that, that's, that, that, you know, we're going to fact check you. But that's not going to help anything either. Complaining about it doesn't work. Some people just quit. Give up. Paul and Silas, they prayed. It's midnight. The Bible doesn't have words in there just for fun. It's midnight so that we understand it's late. They're tired. They're hurting. They're beat up. They're doing the right thing. And they prayed. They prayed. They prayed. And then they praised. It's hard to be able to praise God if you haven't first prayed to God and spent some time with Him. You, these are not superhumans here. These are people who are feeling the pain just like you feel pain. These are people that don't know what the future holds just like you don't know what the future holds. These are people who don't have all the answers just like you don't have all the answers. But these are men who know that they serve a God who has all the answers. They serve a God who knows tomorrow and holds it in His hand. They serve a God who has a plan and is faithful to fulfill that plan in them, through them, and in this world. And He will be faithful to fulfill it throughout eternity. The Scripture says, Faithful is He who hath called you, who also will do it. You see, when God does His work in you to save you from your sin, He also will continue to work in you to change you to be like Jesus. We saw firstly that the transforming power of the gospel comes through following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We saw that the transforming power of the gospel comes through faithfully declaring the good news. To me, this last story speaks of it this way, that the transforming power of the gospel comes through focusing on the praise of the Savior. As you follow the Holy Spirit's leading, as you faithfully declare the gospel, as you continue to focus on praising Jesus, even when things are difficult, God will use that to bring about His transforming work in the lives of the people that you encounter along the way. See, God had already done His work in Paul. We looked at that back in Acts chapter 9. But God now was going to work through Paul to minister to Lydia, to minister to this damsel, to minister to this jailer. And that's what God wants to do with you. God's transformational work of the gospel in you was not done when you got saved. He wants to continue His work in you and use the work in you to minister to other people as well. But you must continue to walk in the Spirit you must continue to declare the message of the gospel. You must continue to praise God, even in difficult circumstances. They praised God, and they sang these praises to God, and they did it so loud that the other prisoners heard them. They weren't private in their praise. They were out loud about their praise. See, sometimes we get to church, oh, okay, I can sing out to the Lord. You can sing to the Lord when you're not here. You can sing when you're in prison. I, I'm out and about all the time. People making a lot of noise about a lot of foolish things wherever you go. Why don't we praise the Lord? There's a song that I learned several years ago about that's written about this night that Paul and Silas were in prison. It says, Their chains were fastened tight. Down at the jail that night, still Paul and Silas would not be dismayed. They said, it's time to lift our voice. Sing praises to the Lord. Let's prove that we will trust Him come what may. And the chorus says, God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing round you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstance is as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. 
He loves to hear our praise on our cheerful days. When the pleasant times outweigh the bad by far, but when suffering comes along and we still sing him songs, that is when we bless the Father's heart. God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing round you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest one is spoken and says your circumstance is as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. I'm thankful that they sang in the prison that night. They didn't sing because their location was comfortable, because their situation felt good. They were in pain. They were in prison. And it was because of faithfully sharing the gospel that they continued to praise the Lord. Notice the result of their praise. Their praise to God pointed others to Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 26, And suddenly, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Man, you get a bunch of guys in jail and all of a sudden you set them all free. What do you think is going to happen? They're all going to run out. But that's not what happened. That's what the jailer thought would happen. Verse 27, and the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I was asleep in my tent the other night and I dad, dad, and I came up out of my sleep. What, what, what's going on? I need to get out of the tent to go to the bathroom. Oh, okay. Let me help you get there, right? I didn't want that happening in my tent last night, right? This jailer, he's there sleeping next to the prison or maybe above the prison, and all of a sudden the whole house is shaking. The prison's shaking, and, and the doors are flying open, and the guy's bands, they're coming off. They're, they're free, and he comes waking out of his sleep, and he sees the prison doors open, and what does he do? He draws his sword. And he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. He was afraid that if they had gotten away, that he would lose his life. And Paul cried with a loud voice and saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for light. Here comes the jailer. Somebody give me a light. I, I want to be able to see. And he sprang in. Love the description here. And it says, and he's trembling. I'm sure he was. And he fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a question. Why do you think this guy came to Paul and Silas and asked them what he needed to do to be saved? I don't even know from my study if he was even actually asking to be saved from his sins. I just think, there's an earthquake in the middle of the night, I don't know what's going on, what do I need to be saved? And he's talking to Paul because Paul is the one who speak, spoke to him and said, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. See, let me. I think this is a really important point. So stay with me. Because I really believe that this world is looking for salvation. Many times they're looking in the wrong place. This jailer thought he needed to be saved, I think because he was afraid that if the guys had gotten out of jail and gone free, that he was going to die. Okay, we're all here, so, so what do I need to do to be saved? Now you could argue that he, he was saying this in a spiritual context, but I, I don't see anything from the passage that necessarily indicates that. And I do see the parallel in our world around us of people looking for salvation, all kinds of things. Maybe the government can save us. Maybe a, a better job would save my family, just help me to have more money. Maybe a pill would save us. Maybe a shot will save us. Maybe better education will save us. 
Now, can those things maybe help you financially, physically? Sure. But the salvation this world needs is not a salvation from health problems. It's not a salvation from financial problems. Because you could have all the money in the world, you'll still have problems. Why is it that we see the wealthy, the, the athletes, the, the celebrities, the political authorities in our world who have money, who have prestige and have power, and yet their lives are full of divorce and pain, and drugs and heartache. Why? Because power won't save you. Money won't save you. This man needed to be saved. I don't know if he fully understood what that even looked like, but I'm thankful that Paul was ready to show him where true salvation came, comes from. And I think if you'll start caring about the people around you in, in your neighborhood that you work with, that you interact with, you will find people all over that are looking for salvation because their marriage is a wreck, because their children are a wreck, because as children, their parents are a wreck and they don't know where to go because their job situation's a wreck, because this world is a mess. They're looking for salvation. And so Paul's answer to him was this very simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Paul said over in another epistle, he said, but I determined not to know anything among you. Then he goes on to talk about how he was determined to preach the gospel. My friend, as a Christian today, be very careful that you're not running around with some other means of salvation. When someone asks, okay, let me help you. Help them to get to Jesus. You can help them with their physical need at the same time, but don't miss out on the salvation that they really need. What the world needs is Jesus. Yes, you can give them some money. Be kind and share the gospel with them too. Take a, a gospel tract. Say, read this when you have some time. Do you have a moment right now? Could I read these verses with you and talk about what Christ did for you and what He did for me? See, Paul, in this moment, he wasn't thinking about how to get out of prison. He wasn't thinking about how to get his wounds ministered to. He was concerned about this jailer who needed to be saved. This jailer's a nobody to Paul. Paul didn't know him, but Paul loved him. He loved him enough to point him to Jesus. And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. They went to his house and the whole household heard the gospel. Remember, it wasn't just Lydia, it was her house. It's not just the jailer, it's his house. Can you imagine the jailer's wife's testimony someday? Or can you imagine the jailer's maid's testimony someday? Oh, how did you come to Christ? Well, one night I was asleep and my husband came bursting in and said, Honey, I have these prisoners with me. I need you to bind up their wounds. And I said, Honey, what are you doing? How are you letting these people out? They need to be locked up. They've been beaten really bad. They need help. Honey, more important than that, I want you to listen to what they had to say. What is it? Well, ma'am, we were just telling your husband that if you want to be saved, you need to trust in Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? Jesus is God's son. He came to this earth and he died for your sin because you've done wrong things. We've all done wrong things. Oh, yeah. Would you trust in him and ask him to forgive you of your sin? She trusted Christ. It says his whole house. And then, what happens to Paul and Silas? They, they minister to their wounds, to their needs.
Man, what a night that was. I have learned this. Sometimes in the ministry, you don't get much sleep. That was definitely the way it was for that night for them because he took them to their, the house the same hour. So this is now it's just after midnight, right? He washed their stripes and then he was baptized and all his. So they had a baptismal service right in the middle of the night in the jailer's house. Man, Paul's crazy. We said, Let, let's, let's wait till Sunday. Let's wait till I sleep. No, these people were ready. <laughs> they, they baptized. They said, let's go. What are we waiting for? And then it says he brought them into his own house. He set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Can you imagine how physically tired they are by now? Hey, we're saved. Let's get baptized. Okay, let's eat. Paul and Silas, oh man, <laughs> it's been a long night. <laughs> They're probably falling asleep in their food at the table. No, they weren't. They were rejoicing because God is good. And then it says, and when it was day, as far as we can tell, they stayed up all night long. The magistrates sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. So you're telling us, you brought us in here and beat us, locked us up in stocks. And the next day, okay, guys, you can go now. The injustice of it all. Can you believe that God can use the injustice of man to bring the gospel to jailers, the jailers' wives? Can you imagine with me for a second? Can you trust God enough for a second to believe that God can even allow the circumstances going on in our world today that may seem bad and wicked and evil and unjust to bring the gospel to unsaved people? I mean, it's, Paul's almost, you know, if we'd really done something wrong, then keep us here. He said, no, you can go and go quietly. Go quiet. We don't want anybody to know. So Paul... He's pretty bold. He says to them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Paul does stand up for his rights, doesn't he? I'm a Roman, and they're not going to do this to me. But Paul didn't complain to God about what took place in his life. God took their, Paul took the punishment, even though it was unjust. And instead of getting bitter, he just used it as another opportunity to share the gospel. Now, he still stood up for his rights the next day. Christian, it's okay to stand up for your rights. It's okay to stand up for what is right. But don't let that distract you from sharing the gospel. And then it says, and when the servants told these words unto the magistrates, they feared when they heard they were Romans. And they came and besought them. So they come down, the leaders now, the magistrates. And they, and they brought them out and desired them. Go ahead and get out of our city now. It's time to leave. And these corrupt government officials that allow themselves to be twisted up and, and brought along and they're rending their clothes the day before. Oh, it's so horrible. Throwing these guys a beat up. And you think, poor Paul and Silas. These government leaders, these businessmen, the, the guys, the slave owners, they're just nasty people. But even with all of that, and the Romans, they were totally in charge at this point. It's not like Paul and Silas going, We're gonna, you're going to hear from our lawyer. There's no lawyer to call. We're going to sue the government. We're going to get a settlement for mistreatment. You know, you threw us in prison unjustly, and we're going to win a big settlement. That, that didn't happen. There was no possibility of that. But even in the midst of all that mess, God was still at work. I think today we sometimes get this idea, well, things are getting tougher. Things are getting difficult. I just don't know. What's gonna... God is still at work. He's still on the throne. He's still in charge. And He's still giving us the message of the gospel. These guys were sharing it in much more difficult circumstances than we have. They get out of the city. But notice, before they get out of the city, I like this, verse 40. And I know we've been here for a few minutes, so 
You've listened well. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they'd seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Do you see the transformation that took place in this city over just a short period of time? When Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke got to the city, there were no believers. There was no brethren. There were not even any cistern. In fact, that's who God brought them to lead, brought them to first, were the future sisters. And on the way out, now they have friends. They have a place to stay. There's a group of believers. You talk about a ragtag bunch in the church at Philippi. But boy, if you read the letter that Paul writes to Philippi later, the book of Philippians, this was a church that was known for its giving. This was a church that Paul commended for their faithfulness to the gospel. It wasn't a church where it was easy. The persecution was great in Philippi. Great in a bad way. It was hard. God did his work. The power of transformation in Lydia's life, in the damsel's life in the jailer's life, in the city. What can God do through you? If God has already saved you this morning, if you've already trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's already begun a good work in you. But God's not done working through you. Who is God going to lead you to this week? Where's God going to lead you to? Where's He already led you to that you need to be faithful in right now? That damsel, they saw her lots of days before Paul turned around and spoke to her. I would invite you to do this. Number one, you might be here this morning and say, these stories are amazing. I've never experienced that kind of transformation in my life. I want you to know you can trust in Christ. Your religion won't save you. Prayer won't save you. All the good things you've ever done will never save you, but Jesus will save you. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to mean riches and happiness. It doesn't mean that he's going to heal your body from every sickness, but it does mean he'll save your soul and he'll give you eternal life in heaven. And I would invite you this morning, even right there in your seat, to call out to the Lord and confess your sin and say, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Forgive me. But maybe you're here this morning and you've already trusted Christ as your Savior. Has God put you on the path of somebody who's brokenhearted? Somebody who's hurting? Somebody who's poor? Somebody who's lost? I would ask you to maybe even on the back of your notes or on the side or a piece of paper in your Bible, your phone, something. would you write some of those names down and commit to pray for those people? Commit to sharing the gospel with them? The way out there, and you say, well, I don't really, I don't know too many people like that. We were talking about that this week, that sometimes we as Christians, we, we sort of isolated ourselves away so that we don't, have to interact with the broken and the hurting and the bruised and all of that. Then I would invite you on the way out this morning to sign up for one of these Saturday opportunities. We'll get you in the community. You'll meet them pretty quickly. We meet them almost every day when we're out. Now, do they all trust Jesus? No. But some of them just need to hear it a few times, just like you did. Do we love the lost? Do we love like Jesus loved? Or do we just love ourselves? We all love ourselves. But we need to learn to love the Lord and love others in that. Let's pray. Lord, you do have the power to transform lives. Help us never to forget it. Lord, we've seen it through these stories this morning. It's amazing. 
It's incredible. It's a work that only you do, but you do it through people, through believers, as they're faithful to share the good news. And I know this has been a focus of us, for us a lot lately. Lord, it's because we need this focus, we need this challenge. This world needs you. May we be faithful to share that good news. Lord, I pray for those who some have been thinking of, who they've written down. Pray for their salvation. Lord, there may be somebody here that's not saved. I pray for them this morning. Don't let people leave from here, Lord, just go back to what they're doing. Just another day, another time at church. I did that, now let me go. Help us to go committed to follow you in Jesus' name.